Hey everyone, you're listening to the Queens of Hustle podcast. In this podcast, me and my guests will be exploring fitness, culture, business, media, and everything in between. My name is Kiana and I am your host. I'm a professional pole dancer, fitness trainer, and social media manager with a background in journalism and a degree in communications. I am extremely passionate about personal development and talking to other queens about their dreams, hustle, mindset, motivation, and success, as well as valuable lessons they have learned throughout their experiences. Here is a space where we can have healthy and expansive conversations that can help you in the next step of your journey. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Queens of Hustle podcast. My name is Kiana Walker and I am your host. Today we have an awesome episode coming right up and it is with the fabulous AT, also known as Journal Zupol on Instagram. When I met him um, at the end of January when I um, performed at the Black Stage Showcase, just like right away, I felt like he was just so modest and authentic and so, so kind and genuine. And yeah, we hit it off really well. And I was already wanting to get him on the podcast because he is such an incredible artist and dancer from the way he moves to the way he speaks and the way he articulates things, the way he curates his content. You can tell that he's a very, very calculated person and everything that he does, he does with intention. And I really love that about him. So after the showcase, we were taking selfies, popping champagne, having deep and meaningful conversations and the vibes were really high. And I took that chance to ask him if he wanted to be a guest on the podcast. And he, of course, accepted so graciously. And here we are. But before we get started, time for some quick life updates. Life has been very, very busy lately. I have so much going on in different departments, in a good way, of course. Um, but of course, for the sake of my mental health and sanity, I've decided to just be releasing one episode a month for now. And of course, I would love to do more. But at the moment, that is all I feel like I can do. But remember, quality over quantity. And I have an exciting announcement. I will be performing on April 9th at Pole Feeder in Peterborough. This is going to be my very first pole competition since before COVID. So my last time competing was at the Australian Pole Championships in 2019. So yeah, yeah, 2019 <laughs> was just double checking. But yeah, it's been a really, really long time. So I'm quite nervous, but obviously very, very excited. And the most exciting part is, drum roll please. My mother, my sister, my aunt, and my uncle are flying all the way from uh, Canada and the US because my aunt lives in the US, but they're all flying from North America to come and watch me compete. So that is so freaking exciting. Um, and I'm really excited because my mom, the last time that she saw me perform live was my very first time performing ever, which was at a Christmas showcase. And this was years ago, uh, probably about like it's coming on five years ago. So it'll be cool for her to see me now competing on a professional stage. So yeah, lots of things to prepare for. Wish me luck. And if you want to follow my journey, you can just follow me on Instagram at Kiana Walker. And I, of course, will be keeping you up to date with all of my upcoming projects. 
So in this chat, uh, we talk about a lot, but we definitely speak about the Black Stage Showcase experience and what it meant for us, people of color, taking up space. Um, oh, it was just such a magical experience. I, I, I literally just still have no words for it. But thank you so much to Layla Davis and the Black Stage team for putting together such a monumental, groundbreaking showcase, really. I think they really set a bar that many different showcases and events should try to um, kind of level up to. But yes, I'm very, very grateful to have been a part of the very first Black Stage showcase. And it's honestly something I will never forget. So for those who don't know who A.T. is, A.T. is a queer Kenyan artist, musician, and pole dancer based in London and currently working in law and fintech. With no prior background in dance or gymnastics, they have been pole dancing for over six years and were first featured in a music video by Harley Weir in 2019. Their most recent work, Bloom, was commissioned by Edinburgh's Fringe of Color Films Online Arts Festival. AT is inspired by the idea that pole dance is a metaphor for queerness. In a state of nature, it is innocent, but in a social context, stigma attaches to it. In this episode, we speak about AT's journey in pole dance, his move from Kenya to the UK, and how it has shaped his identity as a queer person of color. We talk about ways to diversify the pole industry and educate ourselves more about blackness and black history. So as you can see, folks, we have a lot to unpack here. But before we do, if you just don't mind doing me a quick favor, hit that pause button and please leave a five star review on the Queen's Apostle podcast. There is now an option to do so on Spotify. So if you just don't mind doing that for me, that would mean so, so much to me. And once that's done, enjoy the interview. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Queens of Hustle podcast. How has your week been so far? My week has been a little hectic, but it's plenty sunny today and it's really lovely to be here. Thank you for having me, Kiana. Oh, my pleasure. And it's very sunny over there, makes one of us. I'm in very uh, rainy and gray Glasgow, so I'm a bit jealous of you. But it was uh, really good to finally meet you at the Black Stage show. We've been friends on Instagram for what, almost two years now, or yeah, maybe about like two years. And it was just like, you know, one of those instances when we, we met, it's like as if we've known each other for so long. The vibes, <laughs> the vibes were really high. So um, I wanted to actually speak about Black Stage, but before we do, I always start the podcast with the same question what sets your soul on fire oh that is <laughs> such a good question and it would be remiss of me not to say pole <laughs> you know what um just so you know don't feel the need to make it about pole if you don't want to because some people think it's like only a pole podcast but right. you can make you can talk about anything you want so really just um say whatever you want to say what sets my soul on fire is that feeling whether I'm performing as a pole dancer, more recently trying out straps or performing as a musician, that feeling of sort of disappearing into my art form, my performance and achieving a kind of transcendence where I'm connected in a somewhat spiritual way with the audience, but also with myself 
in a way that allows me to reflect on who I am, what I am, and and how I am in that space simultaneously and in a way that I'm not entirely conscious so that I think people are able to recognize what they would call authenticity and what for me for me is sort of like knowing myself honestly. What sets my soul on fire is opportunities to express myself fully and honestly and in a way that I enjoy and that I feel beautiful and I feel seen in, in all that I am. I love that. That is so, so, so beautiful. I know you actually said that perfectly. Um, I listen to a, a lot of Headspace, um, Headspace, like the app. Um, I also yeah. listen to Headspace Radio, the, the podcast, and they were talking about flow as well, actually, in like a recent episode. And they actually said that flow is when you get into a state where you lo lose all perception of time. And that is very similar to what you're talking about, right? And I that is such a good answer. And I didn't know that you're a musician. So we're going to talk about that because I did not know, but this is a whole other avenue that we need to explore. So that's so freaking exciting. Uh, but okay, let's just uh, get back on track. What I wanted to speak about was your Black stage experience. Um, so I'd love to hear your personal experience about being part of a show where you were getting to share the stage with other POC pole dancers from all around the UK. What was that like for you? I, I obviously experienced it too, but we, we're all different people. So I'd love to know how it felt for you and how you how you left that um, the venue that night and how you felt the next week. And just talk to me about your personal experience. Oh, my experience with Black stage in a word is phenomenal, uh, unparalleled, never before seen. <laughs> That's more words than none. <laughs> but, <laughs> but really like nothing I've ever experienced before in a showcase. Um, and <laughs> I think that's frankly an understatement. So what people might not know is I was actually involved in Black Stage both as a performer and as part of sort of the organizing team behind the scenes, helping to get things in order on the day uh, and offering support to, to, to Leila and the rest of the team. So I not only, I guess, had that experience of sort of sharing the stage, which was beyond um, honorable for me, but also to interact with the team and see just end to end how committed and involved not only Layla but everyone else in the team was um, whether or not they had previous pole experience or were interested in pole dancing in making sure that performers and everyone in the audience had the best possible experience at the showcase. So they started with me frantically stretching and trying to get my old creaky limbs <laughs> to a prepared state so when I got there it wouldn't take me too long to to warm up and I think you were actually one of the first people I met <laughs> at, at the Albany so it, it was amazing to finally meet you and I think that was one of the things that stood out to me most about Black Stage that somewhat similar to most other showcases and competitions it brought so many people together that 
whether or not they had been in touch with each other on Instagram or, or other social media, perhaps hadn't actually met in person. And for me, that was really, in some ways, like a singular opportunity to connect with people because frankly, I don't know when, how I would have got to, to meet with you. I know you're mostly based in Glasgow and actually Canadian, so <laughs> potentially move beyond borders. And I'm from Kenya as well and spent some of my time in Nairobi or, and, and beyond, beyond the UK. So really connected so many people, I think, in terms of its impact, had diversity, not only in terms of the pigment or cultural ethnic background of performers, but actually in the movement styles of performers as well, which I think is very unique about a showcase. I think you can often, people often speak about diversity in terms of ethnicity, gender, sexual identity, etc. But in a performance sense, it's actually important to remember that diversity in terms of people's style and movement is just as, a, is just as valuable, actually, when looking for that um, representation across the board. So I think that's something else that was, that just set a bar in a different way that people perhaps have ever seen and that people may not necessarily recognize at first instance, but actually should be conscious of. Um, so I think Black Stage will be known for many things, for having set standards in many ways in the years to come and in the many iterations of the platform, the community, whether that's showcases or competitions or dare I say retreats. <laughs> Layla, if you're listening. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Layla, if you're listening, that's you. <laughs> and I think for me, something that was echoed by so many other performers is just the depth of connection with performers, peers, idols, role models such as yourself. I've looked up to, frankly, longer than two years. <laughs> for all the years I followed you and um, been inspired and just how, like you mentioned, it seemed as if we had known each other for years, even if we were really only just meeting in person for the first time. So I think that connection extending to the audience who, albeit many of whom were, are pole, pole, dance, pole practice some kind of pole fitness, pole dance or aerial fitness, I think there was just so much care and warmth as well. Frankly, I, although mine was the performance, I think, but like primarily recognised as having received a standing ovation, saw people stand up in every performance to applaud, which is something I have never seen in a competition, whether or not you have poor people attending. <laughs> so I think that level of warmth and really just affection and like concern for performers as well not only from the team but from the audience everyone just wanted to see this succeed and I think 
that's a big part of the reason why it did. It really feels like a community success, not just for people of colour, frankly, but for the poll community, because at the end of the day, uh, and perhaps we'll touch on this later, um, Black history is American history, is British history, is global history. And in that sense, you know, Black stage is part of the poll community. It is poll, the poll community. <laughs> it is poll history. And um, I think all of us play a part in how our community grows and moves forward. Absolutely. And um, speaking of your standing ovation performance, I just wanted to say, uh, I'll never forget when I went to go see my boyfriend James during intermission. And I was like, hey, and like, obviously he said, great job. But then right away he was like, that guy's performance was so beautiful. I started getting so emotional when I was watching him, I was tearing up and I was like, okay, but what about me? <laughs> but yeah, my boyfriend is a huge fan. Just wanted to let you know. <laughs> that is a huge, huge honor, especially knowing that <laughs> a performer of your caliber as well. <laughs> He's dating a performer of your caliber. And Really, I think that was also something for me that left me quite overwhelmed. And if I'm honest, as you encountered ugly crying backstage. <laughs> yes, which I actually wanted to ask you. That was my next question. So I did go and see you backstage after your performance and you were in, in literal tears. And yeah. I was going to I was going to slap you real quick. <laughs> I, I was about to slap you because I thought that you were mad at yourself because you, I thought yeah. you were crying because you were like upset at your performance. So yeah. right before I slapped you. You said, no, it's tears of joy. <laughs> and then I put my hand down. <laughs> like this yeah, yeah. So can you tell us what was going through your mind at that moment? Oh, so I think I recently shared about this on my poor journal on Instagram. And I described briefly my experience as a queer Kenyan artist flitting between spaces in Nairobi and Bristol initially when I was reading for my undergrad in law, then London and Nairobi when I was reading for my postgrad. And really for a while having been based in Nairobi and only recently having moved back, that sort of navigating those social emotional spaces and somewhat feeling whiplash and really not that I entirely belonged or belong in in certain spaces in the UK and poor spaces as well whether or not that's me feeling that way or, or me feeling like that space <laughs> doesn't necessarily welcome me so what left me quite overwhelmed is first uh, <laughs> Kalachi Kilichi from um, Kalachnikov Studio in, in Peckham came backstage and I was quite, I would say, okay, still feeling overwhelmed <laughs> and kind of my head's sort of spinning because I, I did my performance at two spinning poles, but also, <laughs> but also because I wasn't quite sure if I had witnessed like a standing ovation or not. I think I wasn't even conscious of it at that point. I just remember the lights being in my eyes and feeling this raw of just energy and 
joy and it just felt like an embrace. And backstage, I saw Kalechi, who whose studio in, in Pagamai took one of my first classes and where frankly I credit learning most of the skills that have put me where I am as a pole dancer. So what some people some people may not know is I actually credit some of the exercise I do outside of pole most with my progress. So with my lines, whether that's resistance band training or other calisthenic forms of exercise. I, I am not a gym bunny. <laughs> actually I work out purely almost exclusively at home, but um I really only learned these exercises there and to see Kalechi there sort of having come full circle from being a pole baby to now having been introduced by her and performing at a showcase by Layla, who I met in uni at IUPDC and who actually is responsible for me having taken my first class at Kalechikov in the, it, 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 anyway. It, it just left me feeling like for I was where I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be for the first time. And that was affirming in a way that frankly, I haven't ever felt before. I think, I don't know if I'm unique in this feeling, but in my performance, even in my sharing, I'm quite convicted in how I move and how I share. I have very clear ideas about how I create and produce myself, my movement, my content. But behind the scenes, frankly, there's a there's there's a quite a bit of self doubt in terms of is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this how I'm supposed to be doing it? Is this, you know, what how you know how how where does this go you know (laughs) um is it enough that I enjoy it or should I should I be doing more with it and all, all of those other questions and for me I think all of that reckoning down on me in that instance of seeing her and her congratulating me of course it's made me feel like entirely overwhelmed I I think this is my first somewhat poor attempt at articulating what I felt fully but that feeling stayed with me throughout after I performed which is why frankly I was on the edge of tears at many points during the evening and I think at the point you saw me I had actually stopped and resumed my crying <laughs> at least three times. <laughs> I love that. No, but that's, it's tears of joy. That is, you know, you, you can't compare that feeling to anything else. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just pure, it's bliss. Absolutely. And then wow. that feeling of connection with the audience as well. I, I had never felt anything like that before. I, I know, I knew as I performed that it felt different because I felt chills at one point, Mm. but I, I I never, yeah. Wow. And I wanted to actually ask, where did the name Journal Zupol come from? So you can't expose me because I am openly (laughs) pretentious. Okay. I have fully 
taken French classes since high school, but have not achieved any level of... <laughs> it's a very hard language. <laughs> of proficiency. <laughs> but for me, I think um, the poll journal was taken, <laughs> quite simply. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So I thought, okay, let's see what other options are there. So I wasn't going to go in the direction of Latin because that's too abstract for me. And I wanted something that reflected a space that contained a record of my pole dancing and communicated it in a relatively universal way. So I think French is a relatively well and widely spoken language, uh, not by me, <laughs> but by many. And it, it just made sense for me. I think a friend made the funny comment when I first changed my name on Instagram because I, I didn't start out as Journal du Paul and asked, who do you think you are on Frank? <laughs> so, no, I don't think I'm on Frank, but I, <laughs> for the record, oh but <laughs> setting the record straight, these are the hard hitting questions you ought to answer so I'm just I'm just giving you just what it wants um but yeah I think it primarily also recognizes that this space is also for me something that I've been very conscious about in how I create and how I share is to do so in a way that allows me to reflect reflect on my movement on myself my identity and in a way that's also why I use so many mirrors like almost 10 times out of 10 if you're on my page and you see me you're looking into a mirror your your page is just art that's all I can say and like I remember when I was looking at your content I was like this is not an iPhone he is definitely <laughs> shooting with a DSLR and he's just he he's in focus but then after the background's out of focus and there you're you're just like yeah it, it is so artistic the way that you convey your content so for those who um may not be following you you're making a big mistake go and hit that follow <laughs> button right now uh it's at journal du pol so j-o-u-r-n-a-l-d-u-p-o-l-e i'm just gonna put that in the um in the show notes so but anyways yeah it's uh, it's it's gorgeous what you do is so so gorgeous thank you so much and i i think one one karma has meant that every time someone asks me for my Instagram handle, I actually have to learn to pronounce it properly <laughs> and then spell it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll be included in the show notes, so have no fear. But I wanted to actually now take it back to your, your life in Nairobi, in, in Kenya. What is your relationship to that place and what made you move to the UK? And can you tell us a bit more about your studies and how they're going? That's, that's an easy question. <laughs> so I'm Kenyan, born and raised in Nairobi most of my life. Only moved to the UK circa 2014 to read law, uh, relatively young. And what many don't know is I actually first spent uh, a stint at a summer school program with Berkeley because I at some point contemplated pursuing music as my career. So since then I think I'm, I'm somewhat 
<laughs> resolutely inclined that law generally is is the, at least the direction my professional career would be going in. Uh, artistically, I think music still holds um, so much for me. Sorry, back to my background. My relationship with Nairobi, I would say, is is has been one of initially all I really ever knew in terms of my family is there my friends most of my friends I would say are there although I, I do have many friends now both in the UK around the world having moved in some international spaces at uni as well um, and because of that I think it will always be home and it has always been home in a way that any other place I am resident in or live in won't be. And I think that perhaps is something we probably share in terms of experience. Canada is probably in some ways deeply linked to who you are in your history in a way that the UK, even if you lived here <laughs> for the rest of your life, might might not be. It, it does hold some bitterness to that sweetness, but only because I've had that experience, I think, of growing and going out of and away from, um, I guess, who I've been known, not quite in character, but in identity to be. And what I mean is, I went to a Catholic boys school for 12 years. And at one point, actually, I hope we redact this. <laughs> Aspired to be a priest and was an altar boy. Oh! So fast forward to this extremely outwardly queer, relatively self-aware, <laughs> conscious, confident, um, self-loving person I am now there's been such a transition in what really hasn't been that long a period of time like i'm not disclosing my age on this podcast <laughs> but su suffice to say it's it's not very long for not not to speak of family or friends but really an entire social circle to adjust really or to catch up to all of a self unlearning and learning and loving that I've had to do over the years. So I think that that complicates things a bit, but overwhelmingly, I think my relationship with Nairobi is one of, I, I wanna be there right now. <laughs> it's, it's cold here. And if I, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is and I think beyond weather there are so many things that although I would always like that freedom to live where I choose would wouldn't skip a beat to accept a ticket back to Nairobi whether that's for a week or three months or more um just because I think it's it's such a happy space for me it's the space I move in there, whether that's at Shakti Studio, where I've taught in Nairobi, 
whether that's at home where I pull amongst really old African pine trees and palms and whatever else my mom is planting <laughs> in season. Oh, it, it, it sounds like a paradise. It really is. And I, I feel so blessed actually to have had that space that when I first moved back to London, actually, I, that was one of the things that was most painful for me to, to, to be leaving for a while. So in a very long-winded response, I've, since I first got moved to the UK in 2014 to read law, uh, pursued my undergraduate at the University of Bristol, where, where I first started pole dance with Spin City. Oh, um, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I've been to Bristol as well. It's such a beautiful city. I initially was going to continue with Warwick for my undergrad, but then went to Bristol over a summer and fell in love. I don't think I, I was going to accept anywhere else at that point it was just so beautiful and sunny very white but but also very beautiful yes i i agree bristol is it's quite great. white absolutely and i think for me being in that space and having access to pole instructors and generally i think black students as well african students and international students that that gave me a rounded experience in terms of feeling loved and recognized and really just interacting with people of all different backgrounds. Just, I think that really set me up to, to be unabashed and quite confident in how I move in pole spaces and beyond. So it, it came quite naturally, I think, to when I moved to Brit to London to pursue my postgrad uh, solicitor's qualification, to although I I was somewhat nervous, join my my first class I would say in London with Sam King, who is known for his wonderful sort of somewhat like acrobatic, intricate, uber uber flexible pole style in classes and I think is probably one of the top male performers as well and has been for ages and he he was really such a good teacher to learn from um just so warm and kind and I think I'll never forget that experience I it it isn't necessarily it isn't quite the style I naturally gravitate towards which is why I've since <laughs> I've since sort of like moved more towards what I would say is my preferred style at the moment. Yeah, you have a signature style for sure. But like, I feel like it's so you. Like you, you move as if you've done ballet your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is such a huge compliment because in honest, I, I do train really hard to make sure that I'm conscious of my lines and that I move in that intentional way. Mm -hmm. And I have huge admiration for ballet, dance generally, but especially ballet. And I think frankly, some of the pain that pole dancers experience when they pursue pole professionally and intensely is not 
unrelatable to ballet. Mm, no, for <laughs> I sure. Know, yeah. For sure. And in fact, in some ways, I think it can be even more brutal. Now, not feet. No, not feet. <laughs> not <yeah>. feet. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, if you Google ballerina's feet, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, yes. Our feet yeah. don't look like that. <laughs> My feet don't look like that either, but <laughs> in, in some ways, pole incorporates elements beyond even ballet. And then there's so much else beyond psychologically that a person sort of reckons with about themselves. I would love to see a pole dance, Black Swan oh. type movie. Can you imagine? That would be yeah. amazing. Also with actual Black people. Wow. <laughs> the rates, the I, I, I see a production coming together. And hey, if you if I can audition, I'd be very, very flattered. <laughs> We're just missing that in the ether, manifesting. Yes. If you're listening and a producer <laughs> in film, make this happen. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Um, and I also just wanted to ask, um, because you did speak about in the past being in the UK and not feeling, you know, um, extremely welcomed. And I know that this might be a hard thing to talk about, but it is it is worth speaking about because we I want to know how to, first of all, make not just um, the UK better, but specifically, of course, the pole industry in the UK better. So what were those in instances in your life where you felt like you weren't very welcomed? And how do you think that we can make the pole industry more inclusive, more uh, more diverse, better for everyone to be a part of? That is a brilliant question. And I think it really starts in the smaller spaces. That first point of contact for every beginner that walks into a pole studio anywhere in the UK. So for me, that experience was moving into a space that was, I think, almost entirely white for my first year of pole classes, pole beginner classes. That doesn't necessarily mean I suffered in any way in terms of my teaching. My instructor was Sevi, who frankly, we've been close friends since and actually was one of the first people I made sure to reconnect with when I moved to London from Bristol. I think in that space where you have instructors and students really locally, it's important to go out of your way as a studio to make sure that everyone feels safe in that space because pole dance is really a place of refuge for so many people, not just of self-discovery and empowerment, but actual refuge for people to come, especially women, and be themselves in a way perhaps that they haven't felt permitted to otherwise. And that shouldn't just extend to white women. I think it has to extend really to all people. And that includes black women, other people of color, queer people, and people beyond these identities and backgrounds and experiences, including sex workers, which frankly originated the craft of pole dance to begin with. So I would say the first place for if, if the UK was, was an institution, a company, a corporation, a, a poor corporate structure to start 
would be really to look at that first point of contact in studios, see what policy policies are in place, see if there are black people, whether that's locally or elsewhere, that are available paid because you we, we should pay people for that labor, for that consultation, to share how that studio can be more inclusive and diverse. And not only in terms of having a few faces of color in their panels or platforms or spaces or on their Instagram pages, but actually in the decisions that are being made. So I think many studios over the past couple of years have been having conversations about perhaps even the language used in pole dance and fitness, the naming of competitions like uh, Exotic Gen, for example, has come is one of the things that that's being discussed, whether the connotation behind exotic is the right kind of language to be used in reference to a pole dance and fitness competition that frankly is about empowerment of all people. And I think having people of colour, sex workers, people of other backgrounds in these spaces can only improve the kind of decisions that are made. I think there's also perhaps a, a less tasteful, less idealistic commercial case to be made for having more inclusive and diverse spaces, not only in studios, but in competitions and showcases like Blackstage, because simply put, it's not only the morally right thing to do, and I think people are realizing this more, it's actually commercially the smartest decision to make because companies, sponsors, want to see people of colour, people of diverse backgrounds represented in these spaces. And diversity and inclusion go hand in hand because the only way to ensure that these people, that everyone is not only represented, but actually safe in these spaces is to actually involve people with these diverse backgrounds in the organisation, the decision-making. And I'm sure you could speak to that in so many ways, having moved in the spaces that you do. A hundred percent. I can't even agree with that more. Um, and as someone that has, you know, lived in many different spaces, such as Canada, I've lived in Australia, and now I live in the UK. And I'm always looking for diversity just in, in life. Um, whether it is the spaces that I'm in, whether it's the uh, media I'm consuming, it's just one of those things that we always look for because that representation is what make us feel like we're welcomed, like we're at home, like we are accepted, like we could also dream to be, you know, uh, dream, dream to be whatever you're seeing. So let's just say, for example, I'm on a judging panel or if I'm performing in a competition, maybe I can also help young Black girls who maybe come see me on stage say, oh, I, I can actually do that. I can actually one day become that because when you can't recognize yourself in different, um, you know, uh, like roles, it's hard to actually think that you can actually do that. 
You know what I mean? So representation is just so, so important. Like there is a reason why some people, some uh, young people of color may not ever dream to be uh, a ballerina or a ballerino because it's ballet is known to be so, so, so white that they almost feel like they can't even do that. You know, like it's not even um, a space that will welcome them. Uh, thank God there are, you know, some, some uh, well, well-known names in that industry now, but back in the day, it was primarily like super, super, super white. So yeah, it's just one of those things that it will make the world just a better place. And of course you and I were huge advocates for it. So yeah, thank you so much for, for answering that. And we're going to just start like wrapping it up now. I wanted to actually ask you for some tips and some, some things that, that you do for actually staying motivated and also things that you do to um, maintain a healthy mindset um, do you have any things that really work for you? And um, also maybe some pieces of advice for those who are wanting to really um, pursue pole dancing to a high level like you. I think the first piece of advice I would give, and which I think almost every instructor would give, is if you think you might be interested in pole dancing, you're terrified. You feel like you don't have the core strength, the arm strength, the height, the flexibility, whatever you think you need to try it, don't worry about any of that, just start. I think that's perhaps the most important piece of advice I'd give to anyone about um, being motivated, getting involved in something like that. It would literally be to just start. I literally started walking around the pole, which is something I always tell people, <laughs> and which frankly is what most beginners will start in class. And it really sets you up with a solid foundation to do the things that you aspire to, whether that's on Instagram and beyond. Now, in terms of staying motivated in the right headspace, I would say I cannot advocate therapy enough. Therapy, therapy, therapy. <laughs> Everyone has stuff that they can benefit from working through, whether that's having, whether that's supplemented by therapeutic activities like pole dance and fitness or other aerial arts or meditation or journaling, I think it's really important to be in a space where you can speak with a licensed, qualified professional about the best way to go about achieving what you want to achieve and really is having a fulfilled and fulfilling life. So I think therapy, meditation, journaling, I think you've, you've recommended a few affirmation podcasts that I really enjoyed listening to. Thank you. And I think that's also something I would recommend. Thank you, actually. I didn't even remember uh, to, to mention that. That is a podcast called Manifest Daily. And I'll definitely link that in the show notes. Sorry, absolutely. keep going. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And that's something I really admire about you. I think that's not even the first affirmation tool that you've shared with me. There's also an app for daily affirmations that I checked out and tried. And there's actually a song I listen to specifically whenever I'm about to go into a situation and I feel overwhelmed. Um, it's called Get Up, Get Out. <laughs> I will I will send you a link if you if you want to put it in the podcast notes, but it just is so loud 
energizing, motivating. It, it allows me to go out beyond my comfort zone, knowing that I, I, I can achieve. Um, and if I don't achieve that, I will be fine. <laughs> um, and I think in terms of pole dance and fitness, my advice to stay motivated as someone that increasingly can't be seen to be a pole baby quite in the way that <laughs> I might insist is to actually not be afraid to, to step away or step into other spaces to move forward in pole. And this is something that I think I'm only recently realizing, not quite because I'm becoming disillusioned or dispassionate about pole in any way, although it has been kicking my ass. <laughs> but because actually, if you think about the way in which we as people generally grow, we don't necessarily learn things in a linear or siloed nuclear manner. Mm -hmm. In school, we have all of these subjects that we learn from sciences to um, sciences, social, biological and beyond to university where we do specialize more, but still are encouraged to explore a broad range. And with Paul, I think there's a temptation also because I think it's one of the more accessible of the aerial arts. You can generally find a beginner pole class, I'd say most places in the UK, especially. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that if you're, if you're interested in aerial generally, you can get into in a way that's exciting and, 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 cha and challenging still. But I'd say you, you may find yourself, whether that's due to an injury or something else, feeling like you don't quite want to pull in the same way that you've been doing. And there's, there's, there are ways to explore different kinds of flow, different types of movement, which I've done. But so something I recently did is enroll for aerial straps, straps classes, which I start on Monday and I'm terrified. Oh, I saw your last video. You look like you know what you're doing, honey. So don't, don't be terrified. I've never, I've never tried it, but you, you look good. You look very strong. So yeah, best of luck with that. Thank you. And pray for me. I need it <laughs> <laughs> because I do not know if my shoulders are built for that, but mm. I've done pole for as long as I have. So I'm hoping that helps. Um, but yeah, yeah, not being afraid to, to explore different things, to broaden your understanding of how you move and why you move. Mm -hmm. Something that surprised me about straps is I still found that feeling of flow, losing sense of time and sense and place in that motion mm -hmm. which is something I think I had started to associate exclusively with pole because that's primarily where I get that high right I get what you mean but then of course sometimes you can get that flow when you're just stretching right Absolutely. when you're stretching or if you're dancing without a pole right uh you could even some people even get it with weightlifting so yeah it's true flow you, you can find it in different ways some people even get flow from reading you know like you could just mm -hmm. get totally uh lost into that world of of, of storytelling yeah. right 
So, um, but that's really, really valuable advice. And the last thing I want to ask you is, do you um, have any projects or upcoming performances that we should be very excited about? What What's next, Anthony, Mr. Journal du Paul? <laughs> what's next? Um, <laughs> so there the, the have been um, a few people reach out with, with with a few opportunities, but I think it's still too early to speak on anything. Love so it. I will, I will, <laughs> if, if you'll allow, I will reserve comment at this point. Hey, you're acting now all exclusive and that makes me even hungry for more. So <laughs> don't, don't you worry about it. Don't you worry about it at all. And I know that I said I had only one more question left, but I actually have one last, last one. Do you have any books, films, podcasts, or anything of that matter that you uh, recommend to people for those who are wanting to educate themselves and learn more about Blackness, our culture, and our history? Oh, another brilliant question. I found it deeply affirming to connect with content that resonates with my identity as a queer Kenyan person. I remember when I first arrived in the UK, Although I would characterize myself at the time as a racially aware person, I was made hyper aware of my blackness in a way that I wouldn't have been back home. I found it reassuring since to engage with my identity in spaces that allow me to be without feeling as though I'm co being co-opted into someone else's perception of who I am, the so-called white gaze. In terms of books, I would recommend Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin, which, although I tend to shy away from queer stories with sad endings, I would recommend because it holds many timeless themes. I would also recommend All Boys Aren't Blue by George Johnson, a Long Way from Douala by Max Loeb from a Continent. A History of My Brief Body by Billy Ray Belcourt, a Native American author. To My Trans Sisters, an anthology edited by Charlie Craggs with advice from several trans people, including a trans activist from Kenya. And in terms of podcasts, I would recommend The Spread Podcast by Kaz, who's a deeply inspiring friend I'm fortunate to know. The Read by Crizzle and Kid Fury. And in terms of libraries, I would highly recommend Queer African Reads, who actually introduced, actually recommended A History of My Brief Body to me. Uh, I think they have such a rich, curated repository of queer African literature and literature by other Black authors and people of colour. And I think that that consistently would be my advice, to find spaces, music, film, books that resonate with your blackness and allow you to celebrate it and enjoy it 
I would I would argue in a happy way because not not every day suffering. Amen. Amen. Yes, we live we yeah. live great lives. The, the history is not completely great, but um, yeah, like you said, not every day is a struggle, and it is important to also see the the, the light and the positivity as well. That's a really really fair point. Um, my recommendations, however, <laughs> they do. <laughs> my recommendations may not speak about light and positivity, but it is just such a touching movie to watch so the movie i'm recommending is the hurricane featuring denzel washington i believe it was um 98 it came out and it's based on a true story and it is um basically about somebody or a man who gets uh, put into prison for a very long period of time uh for years and years and years for a crime oh. that he did not commit um but just anyways i'm not even giving away like you know I'm not giving away much. That is just the premise of the story, but watch it. It is amazing. And then after, if uh, someone wants to watch more of a documentary, um, The 13th, uh, directed by Ava DuVernay, which is about the prison industrial complex in America and how the government basically benefits from mass incarceration. It is totally, totally effed up. Like, it is. it, it will make you so angry with the world, but it will make you understand so much about how a lot of um how systemic racism plays a part in all facets of life so those are my recommendations once again not super super positive you might not you might not finish the movie feeling good but you'll 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 have learned a lot and you'll understand the black struggle more um but yeah thank you so so much anthony for your time this has been amazing i'm so excited to get to uh to, to release this um and enjoy the rest of your day Thank you so much for having me, Kiana. Such an honor to speak with you, to perform with you, to connect with you in this way. And honestly, I could not wait to see where the podcast goes and what's next for you as well, beyond. Hey everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Queens of Hustle podcast. As this is a passion project that I'm doing all by myself in my free time, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app or on Spotify. Feel free to share this episode on your social media or send it to someone you know who'd benefit from listening to this. Have an amazing day or night wherever you're listening. We'll see you next time.